DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Wednesday morning. And let me just say right off the top, <sighs> opening sports leagues up is going to be really complicated. But you know what? That's why they make the big money. Uh, the commissioners and all their staff and the league office and all that. Uh, and yesterday I was telling you about college football and today, the NFL, so the story broke, actually it broke during the show yesterday, that the NFL is coming out with a schedule. It was going to be May 9th, and now they may move it up a couple days. I don't know what the logic is there. But that behind the scenes, they're building in multiple contingencies. We don't know about all of them, but some of them we know about, and some of them they probably haven't invented yet. Someone will probably have a bright idea for a contingency on Friday. But their operating theory is that, well, number one, obviously, they want to do the schedule as normal with fans in the stands, obviously, right? You want to do everything just the way it was last season. So you plan for that. But, man, if, you're, if that's your only plan going into this season, you're just a complete and total moron, and you were dropped on your head multiple times, probably as recently as last Friday. you got to have contingency plans. So some of the things the NFL has planned, and there's probably more than this, and there will be more than this, but the things they're planning right now is sliding the Super Bowl, which is scheduled for the first Sunday in February. That's where it's been for years now. They're going to slide it possibly back as far as February 28th. It's slated for February 7th. It could go the 14th, the 21st, or the 28th. If they move it back three weeks, if they move the whole season back, um, they're looking at moving the season back as far as October 15th and condensing it. Now, one week they'll eliminate by getting rid of the Pro Bowl and the bye week before the AFC and NFC title games. But they're also looking at moving the starting two weeks into the end, to the end of the regular season. They're also looking at taking the third week and the teams that play on week three will have the same bye weeks. So whoever your opponent is week three will have the same bye week. So if they have to, whether your bye week is week six, seven, eight, nine, they can fold that week in there. So they're, they're looking at sliding it three weeks. They're looking at condensing a couple weeks out of it and maybe opening as late as October 15. Now, for the money we're talking about, I'm not convinced that they wouldn't start November 15th and play until March if that's what it took. They're the NFL, and they can blow out anything else on the calendar they want. But for now, that's some of the contingency plans they're considering. All right, DJ and PK, a lot of you guys like to go out and eat. You're a little tired of being housebound, but how do you go out? How do you do it safe? And maybe, how do you help someone else out in the process? Honest Eatery, here to tell you about that. And we had them on the show Monday, and it was coming out of the play of the weekend. The play of the game feature, which was Nolan Ryan re-breaking the strikeout record. And Honest Eatery, well, that hits right into the old Houston roots, doesn't it? It's time to showcase those that are helping all of us through these difficult times. This is a partner profile on the Zone Sports Network. Lauren Warner joining us from Honest Eatery. Lauren, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for having me. A pr- privilege to be on with you guys. And uh, couldn't have had a better introduction. I am a native of Houston, Texas. So um, love hearing Nolan Ryan's name anytime I hear it. There you go. All right. Well, you're a native of Texas, but you got your start in business and Honest Eatery started at jazz games in the arena. You got it. Yeah, we've been we've been uh, at the arena for the last two seasons. Um, they gave a they gave us a chance, and uh, and we bulldozed right through the door, and uh, we're providing healthy options at the arena. So you've got uh, a family four pack program going. Buy one, give one. How does this work? Yeah. So during these hard times, we found um, a lot of um, a lot of individuals, a lot of our customers. 
um, have um, have actually been giving to their neighbors. And so we, we created a family four-pack, which is a four-pack of acai bowls um, that are healthy for you, that have full of um, antioxidants and help our immunity, our immune system as well. We found that a lot of our, uh, of our guests were coming in and purchasing um, multiple four-packs um, and then delivering them throughout their neighborhood. Um, and having making a way that they could connect with um, their neighbors, so we decided to um, to make that available and um, do a, a buy one and give one, um, and that's been really successful for us. So, uh, how does the fundraising work? Because uh, I've heard you're delivering meals to hospitals to feed nurses, doctors, staff. Uh, how does that work if people want to participate? Yeah, that's right. So we created a go a GoFundMe um, page. And um, that GoFundMe page, you can access that through our website. It's um, eatathonest.com, E-A-T-A-T-H-O-N-E-S-T.com. We've got a donate button there. Um, but we have a lot of our guests um, are, um, are nurses. Um, just by the locations that we have, we have a location up at Foothill Village, which is close to the University of Utah uh, Hospital. Um, we have a location downtown Salt Lake, which is close to LDS Hospital. So since we've been open, We've had, um, and we've noticed that we have a lot of guests um, that are nurses, doctors, and we wanted to give back. Um, so we've uh, created GoFundMe, um, and we've had uh, nearly um, $1,400 uh, donated. That allows us to provide over 150 meals um, to the nurses who stand on their feet for 15 hours a day. day. And so that's where... Um, where um, where uh, individuals can contribute and help um, provide meals. So I have a friend in the, uh, in the medical community who called me over the weekend and was telling me, because I'm a sportscaster, I don't know anything, uh, and was telling me that, uh, that they scrub up and they're working such long shifts now, um, even in Salt Lake, and it's not, you know, what's happening in New York, but even in Salt Lake, we've got people working long shifts here. And so this food showing up is a, is a big deal. I mean, they don't, they don't have time for lunch breaks the way, the, way, the way it works in the rest of the world. Yeah, you've got it. We've heard that we've had the same feedback. And the, grat- the gratitude that's been given from the individuals, they... Um, they, they just say, you don't realize how, um, how much it means to us to, to have a quick meal and have something available to us. Um, you, you got it right. They just don't have time. Even here in Salt Lake, where we think the cases are low, and even in units of the hospital, where you think um, that uh, they're not affected as much. I had a woman reach out to me um, yesterday and said, hey, I work in the NICU, but you would be surprised. We have patients that have, um, that have um, COVID-19. And um, they have a baby, and we have to manage that and keep the baby away, but also allow the mother to be a mother. And um, so there are stresses that come to all of them. This is just providing an opportunity um, for them to have a moment of joy and have some healthy food um, get into the body to help fuel them as they, um, as they go along. So we're grateful, as, as they're grateful, um, to be able to be a part of this and give back to our community and those that, um, those that we serve, which is, which is part of our mission as well, is that we want to always give back to the communities and serve the communities um, in which we, we have our locations. So if you want to do one of those family four-packs, buy one, get one, tell people one more time how they can do that because you want to deliver 500 yeah. bowls. Yeah, yeah. So, the, so, the bio, the, so the, they can go to our website, uh, eatathonest.com. Um, you can order online there. Um, and then you can also find the donate um, button there 
as well. And to, to, to donate, you don't have to do the family four pack. You can just donate a monetary value. And the four pack is one of those that you can order for yourself and you receive and distribute to, to individuals within um, your neighborhood or, or friends around the valley. Lauren, we appreciate uh, your work. Thanks for uh, joining us and talking a little bit about Honest Eatery. Thank you so much, Sam. I appreciate everything that you do and, um, and bringing some happiness into our daily lives. When we come back, Matt Arms, BYU basketball, the new big man, the transfer from Purdue. You'll meet him next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we're joined now by Matt Harms, new BYU basketball big man, transferring in from Purdue. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Matt, good morning. Good morning. So, Matt, you drove through Utah, but you didn't stop. (laughs) Where were you going? Where were you headed? And did you have any idea that you were going to be back? Right. Um, well, it was a it was a trip to uh, uh, an AAU tournament in uh, Las Vegas. My AAU team was from Colorado. That's the only re- uh, time I've ever gone through Utah. Um, but it's it was definitely a beautiful place driving through it. So the way the situation was set up, Matt, you were probably going to commit to the school that maybe there was a chance that you had never been on that campus. So you accepted that. Yeah, uh, that was definitely something I, I accepted about it. You know, it's. I was. I've been saying to everybody that's asking me about. You know, how'd you make this decision? Even though you you never were able to be there. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm a guy that's only going to be there for a year. Uh, I truly feel bad for the guys that uh, you know are looking for a four or five year destination, uh, and really having to make that decision about a long chapter of their life. But thankfully, uh, all the information that I uh, thought was necessary, uh, I was able to get over the phone. BYU coach Mark Pope said the phone call with you, he said it went into uh, a lot of analytics on your game, and there were some numbers and some trends in your game that you weren't aware of, but you were very open to uh, learning about. And he said talking analytics can be boring in the best of times, but on a, uh, a Zoom or a Skype, it's especially hideous. But he said you stayed dialed in anyway. What did he tell you about your game that you didn't know that you found interesting? I mean, it's just extremely interesting to you know see all those numbers. You know, the the way he started, it was like you know all these numbers that we're looking at, all these advanced statistics are what you're being evaluated on. You know, uh, if an NBA scout comes and comes and looks at you, they're not just doing the old eye test, you know, like they did 40 years ago. Uh, now they're looking at advanced numbers, advanced analytics, and those are the things he showed me. You know, like he's like, these are the numbers you're going to be evaluated on, and this is how we're going to improve them. You know, he showed me some things that I could be improving on, some things that I'm currently lacking in. Uh, and he can't. He had a plan right away. You know, just like, hey, this is how we're going to get this to a number where it's um, almost popping off the page. You know, where a, a scout is looking at it like, wow, you know, we got to get this guy. <laughs> well said, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, how much did you just make a connection with Mark Pope because he seems to have a very enthusiastic and infectious personality? Oh yeah, that was a, a huge part of it for sure. You know, getting on the phone with him for the first time was just. 
just energy that I wasn't that I'm not used to seeing. You know, from a head coach, he was just going crazy. You know, he was super excited to be able to talk to me. You know, as I was excited to talk to him, of course. But you know, he just had this energy, this nonstop, relentless energy. Um, that every time I was on the phone with him, you know, like you just want to continue talking to him because you just want to, you know, get to know him more because he's such an awesome personality. And, you know, that was the decision in the end, you know, it was just, I wouldn't want to miss out on that. That was just, every time I was thinking about it, I was like, I can't miss out on playing for Coach Pope. The newest Cougar, Purdue transfer, Matt Harms, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So because we have no games to watch, there's plenty of time for us all to watch, you know, clips of you on YouTube. And I saw some stuff in the Minnesota game. Uh, you get the ball and you put it on the floor with your left hand and you go around your guy. You were almost, I think you were on the three-point line, kind of a little off the right, but you end up going down the left side of the lane. So you kind of change direction a little bit with the ball and go and lay it in. And with that level of skill, I was thinking – Wow, I wonder if he was a smaller player and had a big growth spurt. Did you start playing in the uh, in elementary school, and were you a guard for a while, or is this something you just worked on even though you were always one of the taller guys? No, I'm just going to credit credit this to the Euro- European School of Skill Development. Uh, you know, um, I played uh, in the Netherlands, which isn't really known as a basketball country, for five, five, six years. I started when I was about 12, so I started a little late, I guess you could say, with basketball. Uh, but I played a year in Spain, my last year of, uh, of under 18, like juniors basketball. Uh, and I think that was really valuable. You know, that's, I think they've already accepted the, the positionless game. They accepted it a little earlier than they have over here even. So that was really important for me. You know, guard workouts, I was in there. You know, they weren't just shoving me under the rim. So I really uh, was able to develop that part of my game there. How much did you research the guys that you're going to be playing with this next coming season at BYU? Oh, you know, that was huge. Uh, you know, like my recruitment process took about two and a half, three weeks, something like that. So it was, um, you know, that, that first week was really just spent, you know, making sure I, um, what coaches I liked and what situations I liked. But, you know, as I started narrowing it down, that was that became a huge point for me. Uh, you know, looking at the opportunity, looking at the guys I would be playing with. Um, you know, I just saw a team that's ready to, to take the next steps. You know, they, of course, lose a lot of seniors, lose a lot of uh, scoring, but I feel like there's still a lot of guys there, you know, guys who sat out from their transfer, guys who were ready to step up into a bigger role, uh, some quality players coming in. Uh, I really saw a team that was ready to take that next step. So Coach Pope is always recruiting, not just players. He recruits the media. He recruits his fan base. He probably recruits the administrators on campus. I just think he is just always selling his basketball program. And so he told us that one of the things that helped – recruit you was you know the fan base the passion the energy you know the feel at those home games it's not something you can get everywhere it's not something you can get a lot of places there's just a handful of schools that really generate that but then we heard you say i don't care about all the stuff that a high school kid might care about i'm going to be there for eight months so i'm curious how much you know did you see tape of the gonzaga game when they upset you know this top-ranked team and bring them down. The place is going nuts. Did you see that? How much did that matter to you? Oh, I mean, it's it's really awesome to see. Uh, you know, of course, my decision became uh, what's the best fit, and you know, uh, BYU didn't didn't even need that. You know, just because it was such a great fit for me. But now that I've committed uh, and seen the amazing fan support, it's such a great you know bonus to it. You know, in the end, that's who you play for. You know, you play um, for the fans to give them a great experience at a game. Uh, you know, to really. Um, you know, wear Brigham Young on your chest with pride. Uh, so it's, it was 
that's awesome. That's been awesome to see. You know, it didn't really factor into the decision just because BYU was already such a great fit. But now having seen it, it's just been uh, overwhelming and super positive. So obviously BYU is a religious school. It's got an honor code. I'm sure you knew all about that. They told you about that. And one of the things that really struck out at me is when you said, hey, I'm a 23-year-old man, basically, you know, referencing on the other side, I'm not an 18-year-old kid. Uh, do you think that BYU would have been on your radar as an 18-year-old, but you needed that maturity? If not, you needed that maturity to know that this is something that I'm, I'm fine with now because I'm far more mature at 23 than I would have been four or five years ago. Um, I think you could definitely say that. You know, as an 18-year-old, sometimes you don't really realize. But um, basically everything on the other code is there for you to, um, as an athlete, be successful. You know, a lot of those things are probably things you shouldn't be doing anyway. I mean, there's a reason for them to be on there, you know. Um, so it's, you know, now as an older guy, I realize that a lot of those things were things that I was talking about uh, here at Purdue, you know, making sure we're doing the right thing. Uh, you know, and there was, it was more of an informal team uh, set of team rules. But, you know, here having it really be a big part of the university like that really shows that uh, there's a commitment to excellence both on and off the court, and that was really important to me. How much do you get recruited by European clubs to say, hey, you've had a good run in college, but, you know, you, you've lived in Europe, come back to Europe, play in Europe, get paid, be a pro, and don't worry about finishing out the college experience? Uh, well, you know, that wasn't really in play for me. Uh, honestly, you know, especially with um, with the situation over there, how it's going with uh, COVID-19, you know, it's it's it's, just, it's pretty uh, pretty tough over there. I'm hearing from a lot of people that are trying to go over there now uh, that it's really hard. You know, a lot of clubs are folding. Um, just the money's not there right now. So honestly, it was never really, it never really came up to me. Um, I just really wanted, you know, I was like, I have one year, might as well, might as well use it, right? You know, everyone always says after college that it was the, the quickest four or five years of their life. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't want to miss out and only do three or only do four. You have your sights set on the NBA? Yes, that is, I mean, that is my goal. That is my, uh, my end goal. You know, um, it's been my dream since I started playing basketball. Uh, you know, being a little kid watching those games. So it's um, it's my goal. And, there, I mean, another reason I chose BYU is because, you know, Coach, Co- Coach Pope's been there. Uh, you know, he's been through it. He's stuck around in the NBA. Uh, and I think he can really teach me how to, how to get there. Matt Harms joining us. He is the uh, new BYU basketball player, transferred from Purdue. So what do you have to add? What specific stuff have you got to get better at so you can play in the NBA? Um, I think, you know, on defense, I got to show my versatility. Uh, I just got to be better in space, especially, you know, guarding those ball screens when they're, when they're on the three point line, uh, guarding a smaller guy, being able to switch occasionally. Uh, I think that's going to be really important for me. And offensively, it's just about expanding my game. You know, I've started to shoot threes, uh, this past year. Um, but it's something that I feel like Coach Pope's shown he's really good at, uh, working on with, with guys. You know, he did it with Yoli that he shot an amazing percentage. Um, so I really trust him to, you know, handle that part of my development. I think, you know, that's, that's what's asked of the, the modern NBA big, you know, shoot a three, protect the rim, and guard a ball screen. I think those are the big three. Uh, for anyone who's trying to stick around the NBA, you got to be able to do those things. Yeah, that is so true. I think those things, you just nailed it. Uh, you spoke of Yoli. Wasn't a true center uh, stepping out, and he stepped out more as his uh, college career uh, gone on went on. 
I'm wondering how much did you get some feedback, maybe not necessarily from the kid himself. I'm speaking of Kobe Lee, because he played more of a center, and he did shoot threes in that offense. Is that something that you investigated to know that there's that opportunity there because you saw Kobe do it to an extent last year? Oh, yeah, definitely. But, you know, my goal is not to be uh, exclusively playing at the five. You know, uh, that was something that Coach Buck really emphasized as well. Just, just my versatility, you know, being able to play both the four and the five uh, and, you know, on defense guarding those smaller guys at the four. Um, so uh, I, I would truly believe that I can step up in both those positions. You know, I can play both those positions at a high level. Um, so it was, you know, just seeing both of them being able to step out and uh, not just shoot from there, but play make from there uh, was really important for me to see. Coach Pope, when he was talking with the media, said you are a 31% three-point shooter. He thought that you could do much better than that. He didn't put a number on it, but he said you had a pretty smooth stroke. So, you know, there was something to work with there. Can you be a 35%er? Can you be a 40%er? Have you got a number in mind that you know will impress scouts? How much upside is there? Um, well, there's, there's really no number in mind, uh, just because I think there are uh, is no limit to it, you know. Like the, it's it's going to be dictated by the work I put in. Uh, so it's really up to me, you know. Uh, the way Coach Pope said it is, you know, like they're going to do everything they can as long as I do everything I can. So if I'm putting the work in every single day and doing whatever I can to improve that number, they'll be there for me every single step of the way. Uh, and then we're going to discover together what you know how just how good I can get. So Matt, if you're going to play for BYU, you got to hate Utah. How much do you hate the Utes already? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, um, you know, I haven't really. <laughs> I think I'll start feeling it once I set foot in Provo. But right now, I'm, I've only been slightly feeling. It. You know, right now there's been a lot of just celebrations of, of BYU fans and the BYU mascot. So I've, I've seen a lot of that, but I haven't really seen the the rivalry yet. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, get a glimpse of that. Hit YouTube. You might see a couple of feisty games. Ooh. Yeah. I might, I might. There's really nothing else to do, so I'll probably <laughs> do that today. I am curious, how much can you work out? Everybody's situation is different as far as access to weights, access to a court, access to, you know, any any of the stuff you would normally have that would help you improve your game. How much do you have now, and how much are you limited right now? Well, um, so I've been in conversations with uh, with our strength coach, you know, about what I can, if they can send me potentially some stuff, and it looks like they'll they'll be able to uh, send me some home stuff, just some some resistance bands and that kind of thing, uh, so I can really get to work with uh, the workouts he's sending. Uh, then I'm lucky that there's a, a a track basically right behind my house, so I've been able to do conditioning workouts on there, you know, staying in shape. Uh, just the basketball aspect of it is really limited right now. Uh, I really don't have anything available to me. But, um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's hopefully something that um, I either find somewhere or I, you know, I get out the Provo ASAP. Uh, but that's really the part of it that's limited right now. But in terms of uh, workouts, I've been doing bodyweight workouts and, and running. So that's, that's an aspect that's staying up the bar. Take us through your journey because you said you're from the Netherlands. How did you end up in Indiana at Purdue? Uh, right. So, you know, I, I started in the Netherlands, played there for about five or six years. Uh, then I played in Spain, like I said, for my last year, uh, under 18s. Uh, and then um, I went to Wichita, Kansas. I played in Wichita, Kansas for my senior year of high school. Um, then I uh, wanted to do a postgrad year because I really wasn't getting recruited that much. And then halfway through my postgrad year, uh, Purdue offered me the opportunity to just come to campus right away and be an early enrollee. Uh, you know, so I just took that opportunity, had a great semester there. Uh, we won a Big Ten title. Uh, so that was kind of the journey, you know, coming from Kent. Like, uh, you know, I didn't really come directly to Purdue from Europe. I, I met that little 
uh, one and a half year pit stopping here in Wichita, Kansas. So I'm curious when you were playing in the Netherlands growing up, you know, the, the European system can be different. Actually, so can the Australian system. The Jazz have an Australian player who's kind of laid out for us, you know, how it worked. Did you have to leave home and go to an academy when you were 14 or 16 or something? Or were you always at home? How did that work? Uh, well, the Netherlands isn't really that competitive uh, in basketball, sadly. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing their best to get it up to that level, but right now it's really just not there yet. Uh, for me, it was about leaving home at 17 uh, to go to Spain to play there, you know, playing in the under 18s, you know, just playing as a as an amateur in the in the, the junior leagues. But even then, you know, playing for a Spanish club team was already so much of an improvement um, over what I was doing in the Netherlands. But that academy system is starting to kind of pop up, uh, especially in the Netherlands. But Spain really just works under that club system still. How many languages do you speak? Um, just... Just two, uh, just Dutch and English. Uh, I really wish I spoke Spanish, but in that one year there, it's never really something that I uh, that I truly picked up. So, can you swear at the refs in Dutch and get away with it? Uh, probably not. You can probably hear it. Dutch <laughs> is a very aggressive sounding language. So, even if I said something normal to him, uh, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> it would probably sound quite aggressive. <laughs> All right. I've, I've talked to players who uh, who've gone and played overseas, and they say that's always the first thing they learn. There was a uh, there was a guy who went and played in Russia, and he flew in and joined the team, and had to go on a twenty four hour train trip because they, they had some road trip in Siberia. He said, literally mm-hmm. on the train, I learned three words, and none of them were good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Matt, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hanging out with us and talking a little bit. BYU basketball fans can't wait to see you play, and, of course, uh, part of that is because they can't wait to see you play, and part of it because it means, you know, on some level, things are getting back to a little bit of normal. So, you know, for all those reasons, I look forward to seeing you out on the court. Thanks a lot for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you so much for having me. There's Matt Harms, the new BYU basketball big man, the transfer from Purdue. When we come back, Big T Thurl Bailey, stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. It's time to bring in Big T, Thurl Bailey, AT&T Sportsnet Utah Jazz Analyst. Thurl, good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? <laughs> doing? I don't know if I'm just excited or stir crazy. Probably a little bit. Probably a little bit of both. Have you got yeah. now? Now you've sent the kids away to college sports. You got a daughter who went out and played college volleyball, and the son went and played college basketball. Have you got everybody at home? Do they stay out? How, how's that working out? No, everybody's at home. Uh, even my my volleyball daughter, who has her own place here. For a while, she just moved in with us. It was uh, it was a whole family every night, which you know, which was really nice for me. You know, I just I enjoyed that part of it um, for about two weeks, <laughs> and and then after you go through every board game and card game, it's like okay, this is um, we need a little break in the routine here. 
but it's been really good I mean, on the, on that side of things. But uh, like everybody else, you know, you try your best to kind of do your part in this whole thing. Uh, my question for you is, can a player be unintentionally dirty? Unintentionally dirty? No. Yes. No, I don't. Uh, you mean literally? <laughs> you mean as far as cheating? He commits a foul that is a dirty foul, but he didn't oh, oh. intend to do it. It just happened. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And if you're smart about it, all of them are that way. <laughs> well, then you're dirty. <laughs> well, but nobody knows that but you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all unintentional. That's how you sell it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I, I think if there's a pattern, you, there's a little less chance of getting away with it. So Rex, wow, Cha- you know somebody like that. Well, Rex Chapman has a tweet out, and of course we're all watching the Last Dance because there's no games on. So we're watching yeah. Last Dance and all the Jordan stuff, and of course, obviously, they just did the whole thing on the bad boys. And then Rex, Rex Chapman, who was a star at Kentucky, is kind of a role guy in the NBA, not a big star in the NBA, but he's a star at Kentucky, and now he's dominating Twitter. He's got all just all these videos. They're crazy, they're funny, they're goofy, whatever. And he puts them out there, and so he's got a ton of followers. So he collects all these followers with the videos, and then he comes back with the basketball take, which he doesn't usually do, and says that the Jazz uh, were as dirty as the Pistons. They just weren't labeled that way. And so that's kind of what started this whole discussion. So as someone who played in the rough-and-tumble uh, late 80s and early 90s when the game was refereed very differently than it is now, how much did the Pistons in the famous words of PK, <laughs> you off with the way they uh, hammered people all the time. Oh, they, they pissed you off even before you started playing because you knew what to expect, right? Because, um, and I'm, I wasn't ever one to complain because that's the way things were. I mean, you were allowed to be physical and you, you, you went into the game knowing that. Now, don't get me wrong. They were dirty. They they lived up to the reputation. They had to, right? And so they took it as far as the officials or the league would let them take it. I mean, obviously you couldn't get away with that. Now some of those plays would, would get you kicked out of the game. Um, but uh, the Jazz were no near nowhere near on on a consistent basis as dirty as that. The Jazz were physical teams, right? They wouldn't take any crap. But the blatant, you know, coming down on your head, pulling you out of the the, the air, I mean, those, those things didn't happen. And Jerry always talked to us about, listen, we, we're not going out to hurt anybody, but we're going to let them know we're there. So I think there's a difference there. The Pistons were intentional, for sure. Um but I think the Jazz were just physical. I mean, there's a line that I don't think really was ever crossed. And if it was, it wasn't really intentional. It was to send a message. Um, but the Pistons, that was their message. So the uh, 
I, I said earlier in the show, and I, I find this to be true, that uh, the Pistons were the dirtiest team I ever saw play, and I don't think it was close. And we've had some listeners point out that, well, they, they embraced it, and then at times they even promoted it. And, you know, from an intimidation standpoint, when you're trying to win a game and get to the finals and get back, you know, win another title, you know, the, the intimidation factor is important, so it can't be underestimated. So I get all of that, but I think it's a wide margin to the next dirtiest team I saw, which I think, I don't know that anyone started more brawls than Pat Riley's Knicks. My gosh, they always seem to be in the middle of it with some team. Um, yeah, I agree. Am, am I, yeah, am I remembering that right? Yes, you are. Yeah, you are. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the Pistons, heck, they won championships, right, yeah. with it. Yep. And and so if it ain't broke, why why fix it? That's Those are the kind of guys they wanted. Um, and I think there were other teams that tried to, to develop some of that physicality, not to the point that it was it was dirty, but it worked for them. And you can't dispute the fact that um, you know they they did well. So, have you seen anything in the Jordan documentary? I'm assuming you've watched it because you're tired of the board games and the card games. Have you seen anything in the Last Dance documentary that really surprised you, or is it just? A few quotes here and a few glimpses behind the scenes there. I, I've seen a couple things, and I'll tell you what they are, but I want to hear yours first before I... Well, I, I think it's awesome. And the reason that I would watch it, regardless of what's on, is the perspective, right? Michael Jordan's perspective. And so, um, and, and, you know, and, and Phil Jackson's, but mostly Michael Jordan's perspective on things that you wonder if they were true or how they came about or if it was just rumor. I mean, he's putting that to rest right there. It was his team. It's coming from his mouth. Um, and, and so that's what I enjoy, the honesty of it, uh, and also a, a look inside the actual journey. It, it's been amazing, amazing to watch. So as I look at this uh documentary and watch all the different things that are said and and done and all that two things have jumped out at me i was surprised that when they read the bulls traveling cocaine circus headline to jordan that he decided to share his story um a poker face response that ended up hitting the cutting room floor because it just wasn't any good would have been my first expectation. A second one, him laughing but then just shaking his head and not commenting, that would have made the show. But instead he told a pretty specific story, but I think given against the backdrop of that era, nothing that was really all that surprising either. No, I mean, that's, that's another one of those things where you know, if you're on the outside, you're saying, um, that, I'm sure that probably goes on. It probably happens. you got players with all this money, and it's an era. Uh, you know, it's in that era. So he just confirmed it, right? I mean, especially with that. He didn't name any names, but you, know, you can go back and look at the roster and, and, and you know, and, and make your own assumptions. But, uh, and I, I think that's what I liked about it. He was honest about it, but it wasn't like he, you know, name name names. So I think, and, uh, it, was part, and it was part of his maturity, and that, that's that was the reason for the story. Here he was, this rookie coming into this scene, 
right? And yeah. he had a choice, right? He could have joined them or he could have done did what he did. And so it's about you know, guys at that level, um, you know, making choices. And I don't think I ever remember Michael Jordan being mentioned or caught up in some kind of a, you know, rumor about drugs or anything like that. So I think it was important for this to be told the way he, he told it because of how he was trying to develop as being the great Michael Jordan. Were you surprised that the Bulls are still so openly angry with the Pistons? I mean, the, the profanity-laced responses from Jordan and Horace Grant. A, on one hand, I find them hilarious. I don't know why. Possibly it's my personal immaturity. Um, but also the fact that, that that just kind of breaks the code. You know, as a media guy, and you know as an athlete, and then an athlete who later on is asking questions sometimes of himself, you know, there's some things you're just not supposed to say. And those are two things you're not supposed to say. And those guys, they knew where the camera was, they knew where the mic was, and they blurted it out with gusto and swore on top of that just to make sure you knew they were disgusted. Yeah, I mean, you look at that whole series, right, and that whole that, that, that competitive era, um, that really kept Michael and his team from from getting that championship. He knew that that was that was really uh, the hill, the battle they needed to fight to get to where they wanted. They had to go through those guys, um, and obviously the the walking off without shaking the hand. That's that's a code right there that is is unforgivable in ways. Um, you know whether. You know, whether you, you're trying to set something up for the future or whatever, but yeah, you could see that they were visiting, especially Michael. Uh, <laughs> I love the part where they were showing him the Isaiah um, interview about the situation, and Mike was like, no, nah, I don't want it. Nothing that he could say. There's nothing that he could say that would excuse what happened there. And I think he's right. So, so to me, and I get why they did it, because this happened, uh, you know, the kind of 89, 90, 91, as they meet in the playoffs every year. It happened before the Dream Team. But, right. Yes. But they got to, I'll be really disappointed if they don't address this a little bit, which I think is going to take them back to the All-Star Game freeze-out, allegedly. Uh, and so... To kind of get where this all came from. And did it come from something else? Was it something other than the All-Star Game freeze-out? As someone who played in that era and players talked, where do you think it came from? Well, I read something where John Sally said that it all started with Isaiah. I guess he had a nephew or something or that was wearing a Michael Jordan jersey and he got, all, he got on him and his nephew said, well, you know, that's my guy. I love Michael Jordan. That's my team. And and Isaiah was really pissed. And from that time on, it was kind of a disrespect. I don't know whether that's true or not, um, whether it stemmed for something, from something earlier. Who knows? Maybe they will address it. Maybe they won't. Um, but I think the bottom line is there's there's something that was there and will always be there to a certain extent. Um, and I think Isaiah's interview... You know, he tried to skim over it a little bit, never really addressed it. 
Um, and I'm not sure. I, I thought I read or, or saw an interview or something where he kind of said that he regretted it and would have done it differently. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it started from something earlier, but I, I, I'm not sure I see. Because even in the losses early on, I mean, Jordan, you, you see Jordan hugging Isaiah. Nice job, guys. You guys beat us. We'll see you again. Um, but that particular game was different. So I don't know if there's something. I think it, I, I have to guess it was that particular moment that just fueled it and, and, uh, and really started some rage. I'm curious about your perspective. I want to change gears here a little bit. I'm curious about your perspective on uh, college athletes transferring. Uh, because you played, but you played in a very different era. Your kids have played in an era where transferring is more common. And I think there's an overwhelming perception out there that too many kids are transferring. They ought to stay where they are and grind their way through it and, and try to reach for the goal. And, and that's out there. But for the handful of kids who do transfer in college, which may not be all that different from bouncing around on AAU teams or high school teams, because that happens too, for the handful who are going to go to the pros, does that prepare them for the way coaches change teams in the pros and not so much in Utah? We know the story here. But a lot of franchises go through a lot of coaches, and players are going to bounce around in their career. You had a pretty good run. You know, we talk about pace, pace – Pace Mannion, who we both know pretty well, had to play for five teams in seven years. Is there something to be said for that, or am I reaching? Well, uh, let's let's address the transferring thing. Um, I mean, what is it all about, really? Is it about control? Um, it, is it about coaches being able to to control what players do? Is it about the NCAA? Um, not giving a little more freedom to the players. I mean, there's so many arguments out there about, you know, why can't I have control over my own career? Coaches do. If they decide to leave and go to another school, like my first-year coach did at Norm Sloan, I, I played for my freshman season, and after that he left, I was devastated, right? Because uh, that's one of the reasons I went. Um, the other perspective is, this day and age is different, right? It's different now. What are, what are most of these kids' dreams to play professional basketball? Not necessarily the NBA. We know the top echelon kids are going to have a, a shot at that. But why can't a kid who's coming out of high school decide that, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a different way. This is my ultimate goal, but this is a different journey that would take me there. Um, if I am unhappy at a school, I got all these promises and, and yeah, I'm fighting for my job, but you know, I'm, I'm only, I'm not happy here. I'm not happy in the city. I'm not happy for whatever reason. Why can't I make that move instead of being in, and not be penalized for it? So there's some arguments on both sides. I mean, I'm not devaluing the value of, a, of an education because I got a great one at NC state in four years, but that's a different era. I mean, uh, uh, the, the the American dream or the ultimate dream is different now. I mean, and sometimes college isn't part of that path. You can you can go back and get your degree, but 
Yeah, there, there's some things. I mean, the NCAA is a mess anyway, and I know they're supposed to be, the committee is supposed to be voting on that one-time transfer thing, hopefully in May. But um, I think something has to happen. Is that the answer? I don't know, but I think there's some good arguments um, for it. Well, Big T, we've got uh, plenty more questions to delve into in this, but I think the way we're going, we're going to have plenty of time to delve into this, too. So uh, we'll do that <laughs> another time, kind of run its course here. But, hey, thanks for joining us for a few minutes, and uh, good luck with whatever card games or board games lie in your immediate future. Well, I appreciate it. I sent you a picture this morning of my Morgan Freeman starter kit with my beard. and uh, I saw that. Have you, have, you sent a, have you spent a podcast comparing yourself to Morgan Freeman? No, I haven't yet. Um, if if this thing goes any longer, I'm, that, that picture's going to be Frederick Douglass. <laughs> so you know who that is, don't you, DJ? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you up on your African-American history? Absolutely. No PK is. Absolutely, <laughs> Big T. <laughs> hey, you guys are awesome. Hey, do you want to pub your podcast real quick? Oh, yeah, Thorough Talk. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's been fun. It's about... Uh, storytelling is about uh, just a conversation with people about their lives, and, and you know, hopefully other people can enjoy that conversation and learn from it. We had Jim Aron, um, Tony Fee now. We have Frank Layden. We've got uh, Dick Vitale next week. And uh, so it, it's just been fun for me to just have conversations with people and then pull out of those stories some some nice gems that people can learn from, some motivating, inspirational stuff. Uh, so, uh, you know, wherever people get their podcasts, they can, uh, I, I partner with KSL, and they can go on Apple or wherever they get their, their podcasts and check it out. There's a new episode every Tuesday, and uh, then we'll have Dick Vitale on next week. You know, for people who came in at the end of this segment, did you know every segment in our show is available at 1280thezone.com, at Spotify, at where else, Yach? Stitcher? Apple Podcasts, Google Play, everywhere. Wow, you're competing with yourself, Thurl. <laughs> I'm winning. <laughs> there you go. You're always winning. All right, hey, Thurl, right, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Anytime. There's Big T, Thurl Bailey. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next.